I have found the last um, uh, few months uh, interesting, kind of traveling around and seeing different churches and uh, talking to different people. Um, what's been really interesting about that is uh, how we are uh, so reactive to what is going on in our world. We, um, I was just talking to somebody just 20 minutes ago and uh, they were saying how confusing it is. Uh, was as in we we don't always know what we're allowed to do and what we're not allowed to do and and we can be very reactive when we're waiting for uh, the next piece of news and uh, you know what date are we allowed to meet our friends what date are we allowed to meet with more of our friends and uh, you know soon we'll be told you know when can we go to the toilet when can we do this it, it it's it's quite confusing for a lot of people what what are we allowed to do when are we allowed to do it who are we allowed to do it with it's it sometimes can be a bit of a minefield and we. We find ourselves being reactive. We're we're waiting to be told, and uh, we're all waiting now to be told when we can book our holidays and uh, go and catch some sun. And looking at some of you, some of you need more sun than than me. Uh, the the gospel is is not about us being reactive in that sense. The gospel is about us responding to to what God ha has done. Uh, once and for all that he has sent his son Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ has died and he has been raised to life and he has ascended into heaven and one day he is is going to return that that big that big uh, moment in history where God has already done it and um, we're responding as Christians to, to that to, to, to the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And as what we read about in, in chapter 12 of Romans, uh, the mercies of God, that, that has already happened. That is, the, that is the biggest thing that um, has happened in our world. And there will be nothing bigger than that, that Jesus Christ has died on the cross and he has come back to life. And he offers you and me uh, hope. He offers us forgiveness. He offers us a way to, to live a life of complete and utter fullness and there is a there is a right response to to what jesus christ has has done there is a right response to it and there's also a wrong response to to what god has done and and, and the gospel is meant to to drive our response and when paul writes this letter to the church at rome um he's emphasizing in the first 11 chapters this is the gospel and by the time you get to chapter 12 he's saying this is your response to the gospel um, this is the gospel, Romans 1 to 11. And then by chapter 12, this is your right response to the gospel. We don't need to wait for somebody else to tell us um, uh, in uh, an announcement in a week's time or a month's time of how Christians ought to respond to the gospel. It's already here for us. And when we, and when we look at our circumstances, um, we're meant to look at it as providence. What is what is God doing in our lives? What is God providing for us? What um, we look we look at some gifts here. Um, our, our Christian lives are are not dependent on our on our circumstances and the things that we will eventually have to react to. It is it is based on on the gospel, and that we, if we're Christians, have been saved and we're saved for a purpose, and that purpose is to, to give glory to to God. That's what we're looking at this morning. What does it look like to, to give glory to God when, when the biggest thing has already happened? It's happened in the past. 
And we're living in the light of that wonderful gospel. Um, the first thing I want to uh, talk about this morning is about being countercultural and pleasing God, being countercultural and pleasing God. We, we get this in chapter 12, verses 1 through to verse 2. Being countercultural and pleasing God. We, we look at our world at the moment and we, we see what affects us. There, there's a realisation, isn't there, that there is a, there's a commonality uh, for all of us. The whole world is being affected and we are dependent on each other. We're truly dependent on each other. So you and I order something off the internet. We really are dependent, not just on what goes on in this country. We're depending on what's going on in another part of the world. Okay, we, There's a commonality that, that affects all of us. There are common needs and, and common desires. But, but the purpose of Romans is to declare to the whole world who God is and what his plan for us is. In chapter one, he, it, Romans did, uh, reminds us that we've been created by God, but we have rejected God. We've, we've, we've turned our, our back on him. But even though we've turned our back on him, there is now a righteousness that's been revealed. There is uh, a righteousness that's, that's been made available to us, which means that if we've responded to uh, the cross of Jesus, if we responded to the gospel, then in verse one, we can, we can live holy and acceptable lives to God. Uh, that's what it means to be countercultural. It means to, to live a life that, that pleases God and to live a holy life because God is holy. And if we've been saved by a holy God, then we're called to, to live a holy life that is pleasing to him. Now, now listen, this morning, I, as I said to the children, a Christian is not someone who is good or is trying to do good. A Christian is not somebody who is, who is good or is trying to do good. A Christian is someone who's had good done to them. A Christian is someone who's had good done to them. A Christian is somebody who, who, who can't do what's right. They're, they're tempted. They, they, they sin. They, they get it wrong, not just some of the time, but all of the time. And, and they come to a realisation that they are not who God would expect them to be. And they are not who they would expect them to be. And they come to this realisation that through God's uh, conviction, through God's spirit, they come to this realisation that they, that they need forgiveness. And they come to this realisation that um, they are not good and that, that, that they need to go to, uh, to God and, and ask for forgiveness and ask for his mercy. A Christian is not somebody who is good or is trying to do good. It's someone who has had good done to them because they've accepted this gift of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we can't please God. Um, we can't please God in, in and of ourselves. We need... God to come and to, to change us. We need God to come and to, to renew us. And we need God to come and uh, live inside of us. And we need God's spirit to show us what uh, he wants us to, to live like. We need God's spirit to come and help us to, to understand his word. And we need God's spirit to come and help us to understand his word and to, to put it into practice. We can't just... So that we'll, we'll try and please God and then, then somehow expect that uh, he in return will be pleased with the way that we live. We, we can't um, come up with these different rules and, 
and different philosophies and, and different systems and, and, and different cultures and different religions and, and say, well, if we try and, and manufacture those, then perhaps if, if, if we try hard enough, if we, if we spend hard enough, that, for that will somehow mean that a holy God will be pleased with us. We, we can't do it. Romans reminds us there is no one righteous, not even one. And Jesus Christ is the only one who can offer us a way out of death. He's the only one that has proved that he himself has defeated death. If you've been watching the news this, this past week, it's incredibly sobering, isn't it? If you've been watching the news about India this past week, it's incredibly sobering, isn't it? There is a reality for all of us that we must face. And my friends, Jesus Christ, whether you're here on Zoom or whether you're tuning into YouTube or whether you're listening to it on a CD afterwards, Jesus Christ is the only one who has proved that he has defeated death. And if he had not defeated death, well, my friends, this morning is a complete waste of time. If he had not defeated death, this is a waste of time. And we might as well end the meeting. It's a complete waste of time if Jesus Christ has not defeated death. It will not get us anywhere, me speaking to you from, from the Bible or whatever of a book or, or, or even showing you a chicken or even the most expensive chicken. It will make a blind bit of difference if Jesus Christ has not defeated death. But he has. He's proved it. And he's the only one. He is the only way to, to God the Father. And, and we have a, a way out. We have this wonderful way out of having our sin forgiven, of being made right with God through the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Can I encourage you to, to take him seriously? As you look at sobering news, and you hear of sobering news, when I say sobering news, only the news that you're allowed to see, not the news that you don't see, because sometimes they can't show it because uh, they can't have access to it. There, there are things that go on in our world that we don't get on the news, but, but from what we do see, that sobering reality. Um, but then that wonder that Jesus Christ is the only one. And if we put our trust in him, he will save us. He will rescue us from, from death itself. Can I ask you to explore more about him? Can I ask you and encourage you to make it a priority? Sure, um, there, are, there are great things that uh, people are planning for and looking forward to. Um, when can I next book a flight and, and get down to Europe and, and get some? Sure, that, that's fantastic. But can I make it your priority? as you see the sobering reality of living in this world, that, that we need the mercy of God. And, and if we're Christians, we're listening to Paul in Romans and he's declaring this, this righteousness from God. And, and uh, he, he's talking about what it looks like to respond to this mercy that we're to, to offer our, our bodies, our, our whole self, not just part of ourselves, but, but our whole self. As in all of our lives, if, if we have been saved by God, that our right response is that everything that we have, all of us, our entire being, is to be given to God as our act of spiritual worship. When we consider the purpose of the church, 
when we consider the purpose of the church in Rome or the purpose of the church in Clinic or, or the purpose of any other church, what is the church here for? It is here to, to declare to the whole world, to both Jew and Gentile, the righteousness of God that is available through faith in Jesus Christ. And, and to do that, we've also got to show that righteousness. We can't just speak that righteousness, we've got to show that righteousness. It's the gospel on show. It's the gospel on show. In another part of uh, the New Testament, Matthew 5, Jesus says in, in the same way, let your, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see verse 2 here, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We're called to be in the world, but not of the world. We're called not to be conformed, but to be transformed. Transformed in our mind. So as we start thinking, as, and God's spirit helps us to think about these things, that we can start discerning what is the what is the will of God? What is it that God wants for us? And, and that we can know what is good and, and acceptable and what is perfect. Now, I, I find this incredibly encouraging, don't you? I find this incredibly encouraging that, that, that if the will of God is, is perfect, well, it's saying to us that we're not. I find that incredibly encouraging, don't you? If the will of God is perfect, that, that we're not. I find it incredibly encouraging that, that when, when God calls us to, to come and follow him, he comes to us and says, come and follow me as you are. And in this process of sanctification, that it is a reminder that we're a work in progress. And every day when I fail and every day when you fail, it's an encouragement, isn't it? That, that God is, is uh, making us understand that we are, we are not perfect and he is, but that God is patient with us and that God is at work in us. I find that incredibly encouraging, isn't it? That, that God when he looks at my life and when he looks at your life, he, he doesn't say, well, you're, you're terrible and, and you're not perfect. He understands that he is perfect. He knows he is perfect. Only he is holy. But we are being asked to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Um, and day by day, bit by bit. And that God is patient. And we, when we completely lack obedience, God does not rejected. Romans 8, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you've been chosen by God, if you've been called by God, if you're following Jesus, there is now no condemnation. But at the same time, I find it incredibly challenging. I find it incredibly challenging. Given that all of us have been under the same kind of pressures how have we reacted? Whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian, we've all been under the same kind of pressures. We're, we're part of a global world. We face global pressures. We, we face the same pressures. How have you reacted? How have you spoken? How have you lived? Have you lived a life that is distinctively Christian? Have you, have you responded in a way when, when things have happened that don't go your way? Have you responded in a way that is distinctively Christian? We're called to be Christ-like. 
not only is it encouraging, it's incredibly challenging, isn't it? That Jesus Christ has, has shed his blood for us so that we could be Christ-like. As you go to that communion service later on this afternoon, it is a reminder that the precious blood of Jesus has been shed for us. And we're not to, uh, to waste that. We're meant to look at our Saviour. And we're meant to realise just how much he's loved us. And we're, we're meant to want to love him more. Romans 13, 11 carries on and it says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. My friends, there is only a certain amount of time for us to be effective in our witness. The gospel must be on show, not only in what we say, but in the way we live. The gospel must be on show. And there is only a certain amount of time for us to be effective in our witness, for salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Are we living well? Are we using the opportunities well? Because we need to be countercultural. We need to be living lives that, that please God. And as we do that, the glory of the gospel will be declared. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We're meant to be countercultural and pleasing God, but, but pleasing God, secondly, is about serving and not consuming. Pleasing God is about serving and, and not consuming. What does salvation mean? What is, what is Romans uh, 1 to 11 all about? Salvation is, is that God is, is saving a people for himself from both Jew and Gentile. He's saving a, a people for himself. It, salvation is not just about me. It's about not just me, but it's about one another. That's why here this morning there, there, are, there are others. And we see that clearly in the Lord Jesus Christ when he said that the Son of Man has come to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for, for many. God is saving a, a people for himself. And pleasing God is not, it's not about, it's about serving and not, or not consuming. And, and Jesus Christ didn't come to consume and, and, and to self-serve. He came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And we as Christians are, are meant to be eager to do what is good because of the grace that has been given to us. Ephesians 4 reminds us that pastors and teachers, pastor teachers and, and evangelists are, are there to equip God's people for works of service. And Ephesians reminds us that it is by grace you have been saved, through faith and not from yourself, as I said earlier. It, it's the gift of God, so that no one can boast and, and that we've been created for good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. That as Christians, we're, we're all part of one body, as Nigel prayed. We're part of one body called by faith. And Christians, part of this one body, are, are taught to serve. 
We're saved to serve. We're part of this body, one another. As Christians, there is a right way and there is a wrong way. Here in chapter 12, and, he, and uh, Paul goes on, uh, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. There is a right way and there is a wrong way. We're not to think of ourselves more, more highly than we ought, because we are what we are, but by the grace of God. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Um, God, has, God has assigned us. God has given us gifts. God has prepared works in advance for us to do. We've all been assigned our, our place and our purpose in, in the church. The church is not just about some and this, this elite group of people who, who serve, but it's about all of us, all called to serve. Every single one of you that is watching this morning, if you are a Christian, you have your place in the kingdom. You have your place in the church and God has given you gifts and God has assigned you and um, and you are being prepared, you are being sanctified, and you are being put in the body where each of you has a purpose. And we have to use those gifts to serve one another. Now, we can't go through all these different gifts this morning, but it's been very easy, hasn't it, as we have maybe not done church in the traditional ways of doing church. It's very easy to forget the one anotherness of church. It's very easy to forget the one anotherness of the body. We are more separated than we normally are, even though we're all here together this morning. But we're to be reminded that God has saved a people for himself. And we are united together, not just united to Jesus, but united to one another. Zoom is a gift to the church. Zoom is a wonderful gift to the church. It is a wonderful gift to the church where we can, where we can meet together like this. But my friend, Zoom is not church. Zoom is a gift to the church, but it is not church. And, and there are some churches that we hear about that will say, well, well, this is church, but it's a gift to the church. It's not church. Just right now, as I'm standing uh, or sitting in, in this room, uh, I've got another church meeting that is happening just below me. It's in my garden. So whilst I'm at this church service, Sean and the children and other people from the church are in another service just 10 metres away in the garden. They're meeting together because they too can't meet in the same way. So you'll you'll have somebody here and somebody there and there's a there's a group of families just outside there's a garden church of some sort where there's a, a one anotherness there's a togetherness even though it's not quite what we would like it is go some way to, to being together and, and as this past year has gone churches are, are examining really closely and, and asking well what is church about we're examining what it what does it look like to, to be church and the traditional ways of doing things is, in one sense, being decimated. It's being decimated. 
the traditional way of doing church has been decimated and we're and we're doing what we can to uh, to kind of patch that up and and bring back some level of familiarity but as things open up as you start scratching your head about can i do this can i not do this can i do this can i not do this what is church about what is church about it's the gospel on show isn't it it's about living lives with one another it's about people and not about programs programs sometimes involve very few don't they there's there's often that thing about uh, 20 percent of the church do 80 percent of the work but but the church is about one another that everyone 100 percent of people in the church have, have been called by god to be with one another 100% of the church have been given gifts to use for the, for the benefit of each other. The early church were known for their visibility. They were all known for, for sharing and caring for one another. And, and, and the way they shared and they cared for one another and they sold everything they had and the way they interacted with one another, it was a great witness to, to the, the world around them so that daily, People were added to the church. What a witness. The church to be visible. The church to, to be seen. And the church to be a people who were looking after one another. Sometimes the church can be incredibly invisible, can't it? Um, we can be behind closed doors and, and, and people in our communities can't really see what we're all about. But if the gospel is, is true, if the gospel is true, as in Jesus Christ really is the only man who has defeated death, my friends, the gospel must be on show. It must be on show. If you're watching the news and, and you can see countless numbers of people who are living life and who are celebrating life without a saviour, my friends, the gospel must be on show. How can they hear unless somebody speaks? Is what Romans talks about. The gospel must be on show. And we must interact and, and be with one another in, in such a way that it's obvious to the world. And whatever we do, we must do it, as, uh, as verse 8 says, with, with cheerfulness. With cheerfulness. Let the... Let the gospel be on show. It's countercultural, isn't it? To not think of ourselves, but to think of one another. And my friends, Jesus Christ has, has given you gifts. Oh, what is your gift here this morning? What is it that other people recognise in you as something that, that God has done? And my friends, be, be joyful, be glad, and, and, and put it into practice and, and, and do it for the sake of one another. Pleasing God is about, is about serving and not consuming. And finally, serving one another needs the, the right attitude. Um, do you know, sometimes we as Christians, we, we can be a real pain in the backside, can't we? If we admit it, we can be a real pain in the backside, can't we? Um, we aren't what we'd like to be. Uh, and temptation creeps in, doesn't it? And we so easily give in. But here in these last few verses, verses 9 to 21, which we, we can't go in verse by verse, here is the, 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 the right attitude for a Christian if we respond to the gospel. 
uh, I'm guessing that uh, uh, as uh, as the surgeries, as uh, as uh, the, the the general uh, the general practice and the NHS gets busier and busier and busier because uh, people have had these problems built up over months and months and months, and now finally they they say, "I want to be seen." Uh, it's the same with us as Christians. Sometimes uh, we we've not rubbed shoulders with one another. We've not seen each other in the way that we've normally seen each other, and maybe things are built up. It's naive, isn't it, to think that things are okay all of the time. World events have impacted the church, and the church has impacted Christians. The way things have changed, it's impacted who we are. And dare I say, we don't know the full impact yet. But what we do know is this is the church is called to live in a way that will adorn the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're called to, to live in such a way that is so counter-cultural. You know, even verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. Verse 19, never avenge. Verse 12, Patient in tribulation. It's distinctively Christian, isn't it? It's also really difficult, isn't it? Which is why we need God's Spirit to help us. It's counterculture, isn't it? It's hard, isn't it, to, to do the things that, that Paul writes about. To to, to give, to contribute in a way that is self-sacrificial. And to, verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. It, it's a challenge, isn't it? But my friends, that is the mind. And that is the attitude of Jesus Christ. That is him. That is him cover to cover, that he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and yet he did not open his mouth. That is Jesus over and over. And this variety of, of things that uh, are, are written, um, these variety of things that, we're, uh, that are written for us to, to be like, it, we're all deficient, aren't we, in one way or the other? We'll, we'll read this maybe a bit later, or maybe we'll, we'll read it before we come to the communion service. And, and we'll ask ourselves truly and humbly and say, well, well, Lord, show me, you know, how do I need to be more Christ-like? And we're all deficient in one way or the other. Some of us will be better at other things than, than others, and some of us will be less good at some of these things than others, and we're all deficient. But it also shows us that there are different ways for us to put the gospel on show. We're all called to be in different places and we all rub shoulders with different people and maybe uh, for one of us that's uh, putting the gospel on show in a way that people will see and hear the gospel um, will mean different things for each and one of us. Some will have to be a good witness in the workplace where we find it really tough to get on with certain people. And some will uh, find it witness where we will have to turn the other cheek in some way or form. Some will have to be a witness in the way that we are going through incredible, incredible difficulties at the moment. But we'll be distinctively Christian by being patient and waiting for the Lord 
purpose, to put the gospel on show. My friends, where is God calling you to be more Christ-like um, this morning? We cannot be invisible Christians. The gospel is far too important for that. As I come to close, I, I've seen a lot of skips around the place, a lot of skips, and, and you can see people taking this period of time as an opportunity to throw things out, to clear things out, to, to almost start afresh. And even for Christians, it's the same, isn't it? That as maybe things have been constrained and now being lifted, what do we need to, to clear out? What is God calling us to, to clear out? In what ways is God calling us to, uh, to look at God's word and have the right response to the gospel? What things may be been building up that, that we haven't dealt with? And then God is saying, deal with it today. Come and lay it at the foot of the cross. As I um, was reading the, the news this morning and I was reading about uh, certain countries and the way they've dealt with the past year, and it was, uh, it was quite striking as I was reading it. It was, it was about a country, and I, and I was thinking, actually, it's almost a description of the church. And it was a, it's a description just in three paragraphs at the end of a, a long news article. And you, um, I'm not going to read the whole news article, but, uh, but in the last three paragraphs, it's really striking what it says about this. It, it talks about uh, Singapore and, and how Singapore has dealt so amazingly with, uh, with this pandemic. And it describes the way that... Uh, this country has dealt so successfully. But, but in the last three paragraphs, it, it talks about what goes forward. And, and it says that many would say that they are relieved to have weathered such a dangerous global pandemic. And they're relieved that they're safe in this, in this little bubble. They, they've weathered it really well and they're safe there in this little bubble. And I, and I wonder if that's true of the church sometimes, that we're, that in one sense, we're relieved that we've weathered we're safe in our, in our little bubbles here in, in churches in this country. We're safe in one sense. But then the second paragraph says, well, eventually the bubble's got to pop. Because for the sake of the economy and economic survival, that, that, that they're going to have to open up. And we could say that of the church as well, couldn't we? That even though we, we, I suppose we've had our little bubbles and as safe as they are, actually, we need to open up, not for economic survival but we need to open up for the sake of those people's eternities in our communities around us. That the gospel must be on show and we cannot be invisible Christians in our bubble. That, they say, will be the, the true test of their survival. And my friend, as we listen to the news and we hear of, of clubbers, okay, clubbers who are saying I it was amazing to be able to return to a club to trial out this and they just couldn't wait as we hear of pubbers who are saying I just couldn't wait to get back in the pub my friends are we going to be Christians who will say we cannot wait to meet with one another we cannot wait to mingle with the world we cannot wait to be able to rub shoulders with people. We cannot wait to come and share 
the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and put the gospel on show. And as risky as that might sound, isn't it amazing that that is what Jesus Christ did? He left the throne room of heaven. He left the glories of his father and he came into this world and he left everything so that we might become the children of God and co-heirs with Christ. Let me read a, a verse of the song we're going to finish by singing. The matchless wisdom of his ways that mark the path of righteousness. His word, a lamp unto my feet, his spirit teaching and guiding me. And oh, the mystery of the cross, that God should suffer for the lost, so that the fool might shame the wise and all the glory might go to Christ. Isn't that fascinating? Oh, the mystery of the cross, that God should suffer for the lost. And then we, as a right response to him, must not just speak, but the gospel must go on show.